Thank you, everyone. It is so great to be here. This is the coolest building I've ever been in. I've told some of you, I'm from California. We don't have any buildings this old. And so it's awesome not only to be in it, but to be able to speak in it. And then this is my first time in South Carolina. So it's the first time I've had South Carolina barbecue. It's phenomenal. Uh, so thank you for everyone who was cooking all day, right? It took all day to cook. Wow, that, that's amazing. Um, thank you, everyone, for uh, just being so hospitable. I'm so glad to be here with you guys. Uh, let's pray to start, and then we'll get in. We're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 14. Oh, God, thank you for this time where we can just come together and fellowship, have good food, um, encourage each other, hear from you, read your word, Lord, um, things that we could easily take for granted. Lord, I pray that you would strengthen us, that you would refine us, that you would um, encourage us and prepare us for what you have going forward. Um, I pray that you would speak to us tonight, that you would uh, work in our lives, that you would be continuing to sanctify us, and that we would go out and proclaim uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ boldly. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, so we're going to be in uh, 1 Samuel 14. I have to say, this is turning into one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible. I don't know if it's just the time that we're living in, but um, just the heart that Jonathan had uh, has been really encouraging for me. I mean, this story and what I'm going to talk about today has been a blessing for me, so, and I hope it will be for you too. Um, just some things uh, to level set, because you, know, you come to a place, I don't know where everyone is at, but um, I loved just my business background, I guess, uh, having a business mind. I always want to know the vision and what am I working towards? And as Christians, I want to know, like, why does God have us here just in a high, um, high level, big picture? And what are we supposed to be doing? And then we can break down into, okay, so then how does that translate into family life? How does that translate into the church and ministry? How does that translate into the politics that we're not supposed to talk about? Um, how does that all fit into the vision and what are we here for? And uh, so our mission is the Great Commission, right? Matthew 28, 18 through 21. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's really why we're here. That's why we are going through the things we're going through. That's why God is teaching us the things he's teaching us. That's why we get together and have fellowship meals. This is why you're here on a Tuesday night. It's because we are living for this mission. Everything that we're doing is supposed to be part of this. And another verse that I just absolutely love, 2 Corinthians 3.16, right? All scripture is God-breathed and profitable for teaching, for reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. And so he gives us this word for that very thing. And when I talk, I don't really have profound theological nuggets that you can go share with people and impress you're not going to get that kind of thing from me. But what I want you to get is not even if you remember anything, but that you feel more equipped to live to that vision that God has given us, whatever that looks like for you, whatever it looks like for you to be making disciples of all nations and whatever sphere of authority that you find yourself in. 
if that is with your family and your kids, that you're more equipped to make disciples of your kids. If you're more, if you find yourself at a church service or after church with a younger, uh, younger guy, that you're discipling them and being able to have a mindset to equip them and encourage them along in the Lord as well, and even at your work or in the government sphere. And so that's the framework and the mindset that I want us to have as we were going through and looking at our text today. It's going to be 1 Samuel 14, 1 through 15. I'll read through it, and then we'll go back and pick up some good points from it. And I'm reading from the ESV. I don't know what you guys normally go to. I personally like the NET, but when I come and I uh, you know, read from to some other group of people, I never know what they're using, so my default is ESV. Uh, one day, verse 1, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Saul was staying in the outskirts of Gibeah, uh, in the pomegranate cave, which is actually a tree. There's no such thing as a pomegranate cave. At Migran, the people who were with him were about 600 men, including Ahijah, the son of Attitude, Ichabob's brother, son of Penias, son of Eli, the priest of the Lord in Shiloh, wearing an ephod. And the people did not know that Jonathan had gone. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag, which is a cliff, on the one side, and a rocky crag on the other side. The name of the one was Boaz, um, Boaz's, and the name of the other was Sena. And the one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Gibeah. Jonathan said to the young man who carried his armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Uh, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, your heart and soul. Then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in our place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand. And this, this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men of the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. And the Lord has given, him into the, uh, given them into the hand of Israel. And then Jonathan climbed up his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after them. And the first strike with Jonathan and his armor bearer made killed about 20 men within um, within as if it were a half a furrow's length and an acre of a land. And there was a panic in the camp, camp and in the field and among all the people, and the garrison and even the raiders trembled, and the earthquake, and it became a very great panic. Now this is just a really cool story. <laughs> I mean, two guys going to take on a garrison of Philistines. I mean, that's like a movie, a blockbuster movie, right? <laughs> um, so let's just go back to verse one. One day, Jonathan, the son of Saul, said to the young man who carried his armor, come let us go over to the Philistine garrison on the other side. 
in verse 14, it says that there was about 20 men. Now that's 10 to one odds. As a gambler myself, <laughs> I would not take those odds, especially when my life was on the line. Who thinks that's a good idea? Who thinks that's a good idea to leave 600 men that are on your side and go with your arm bearer to another side where your enemy is that wants to kill you and you're outnumbered 10 to one. It was 20 to two. That seems ridiculous. That seems like something none of us would ever do. I wouldn't do it. Would you do that? No, I would not do that. So what kind of man does this? And the answer is, it's a spirit-filled man. It is a man that is living by the spirit, not by the flesh. Someone who is not by the flesh. This is suicide if we're thinking in fleshly terms. That is, it is suicide if we're thinking pragmatically, if we're thinking practically. You wouldn't do this. And yet this story is here, like 2 Timothy says, to teach us to reprove us, to correct us, and to train us in righteousness. And so this story is here for us to learn the lesson to be like Jonathan. Galatians 5.21b says, I warned you as I warned you before that those who do, and the word do is proso, like practice, such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I love that this section of Galatians because he's contrasting the flesh, living in the flesh. He gives that whole long list that we won't talk about. And then he says, but then don't do that and live in the spirit. And we're seeing what that can be in this story, what it looks like for a man of God to be living in the spirit. He can slay a garrison of Philistines. That doesn't make sense from a fleshly perspective. And it says that those who practice these things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If we're practicing fleshly things, not just doing sinful things, but as we are continuing to live that lifestyle, we become somebody who is that. We, are those, we take on the identity of the flesh. And it says that not only if you live in the flesh, you won't inherit the flesh, but you also will not have these kingdom qualities that Jonathan has. And when I talk with guys, I get a lot of people that email me and they reach out to me on my podcast. And one of the biggest things that I see with people not being able to do these kinds of things of charging the mountain and going after garrisons and doing things for God and having victories uh, for, you know, against the Philistines is that they have sins in their lives. They have, they're used to, they're practicing, they've created a pattern in their life of living in the flesh. Not just pornography or not just hating people or like those flagrant sins that we love to pick on, but people that are just comfortable in their life. They don't want to take risks like Jonathan did that they don't want to take sacrifices and climb up cliffs like Jonathan did. They're comfortable. They're comfortable in their pragmatic lives. They have their career. They don't want to share their faith in their workplace because they might get in trouble. They might 
uh, get fired even. I mean, today you can be canceled completely out of society, right? But that is one of the biggest reasons that people do not climb the cliffs, is they are not living in the spirit because they are comfortable. They're comfortable living under the pomegranate tree. They're comfortable hiding out with their 600 uh, soldiers to protect them, that they don't even think about the idea of going out and seeing what the Lord can do. They don't even think about it. Another thing, Galatians 5.25 says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep with the Spirit. And it's also like living in the Spirit, the idea of that. I think one of the things that also keeps us from climbing and trying to tackle obstacles or challenges that we think that God is leading us to is that we're scared if we fail or we don't get the results that we expected or want to have that it's going to be embarrassing or that people are not going to think highly of us or it's going to be a shameful thing. But one of the things that we have to remember is our role and our responsibility as disciples, as people discipling others and obeying God is simply that to obey God. And whatever results come from that, that's for God to decide. That's for God to do through his spirit. And so when you think or feel or have an inkling to do something like charge these cliffs, to fight something not pragmatic, something unrealistic, but you have been praying about it, you've spoken to your elders about it, you are convinced that this is what God wants you to do, and you feel those fears, just remember that God has simply asked us for obedience and to obey. And whatever results may come from that, that's on God. If you are obeying what he has for you, whatever may come from that is on him. And that should be something that's really freeing for us. That should free us to try things, to take risks. Maybe it is starting a business. Maybe it is witnessing to your neighbor. Maybe it is talking to your boss or whatever it is. Maybe it's discipling a young youth in your church. Maybe it's going out of your comfort zone. Whatever it is, whatever the, res the results are, commit that to God. And that should be something very freeing because our success and failure is not based on the results that we've given ourselves or what society thinks or what anyone else thinks. It's simply, are we obedient to what God has called us to do? And that's what gives Jonathan not only the vision to start off and go off and leave the comfort of the pomegranate trees, to leave the comfort of protection of a garrison of his own of 600 men and go off. But that's what gives him the ability to climb up and do it and for God to use him is he's not living in the flesh. He is not being pragmatic and he's trusting God with the results. And I think that's something that we need to remember as we go into a time where I believe that we are going to experience persecution in various degrees going forward. We're going to have governors saying, that you cannot meet in your churches anymore. You're not going to be able to worship God on Sundays. 
We're gonna have many of these different things. You're gonna be canceled from your job. I have gotten several emails from people working at different companies that are not only worldly, but actually hate God. And they've lost their jobs. Like these are things that we're gonna have to deal with. And we will be able to overcome them. We will be able to be more than conquerors only if we are living in the spirit like Paul talks about in Galatians, of denying the flesh, not walking in the flesh, not walking in those elements, but living in the spirit. And we need to be preparing for that today. Verse 4. Within the passes by which Jonathan sought to go over to the Philistine garrison, there was a rocky crag on the one side and a rocky crag on the other side. Remember, a crag is just a cliff. I don't know why they said crag. The name of one of them was Bozes, and the name of the other was uh, Senya. The one crag rose on the north in front of Michmash, and the other on the south in front of Gibeah. Now, I love this. The, the Bible is full of so many cool pictures. I mean, I wish sometimes it did have pictures because it'd be easier to understand what is being portrayed. But so Jonathan is in this kind of like valley ravine and he has two choices on the side. He has this one side with a cliff and he gives the name, the name is Bozes, and it is in the, uh, on the north in the front of Michmash. And then on the other side is Sena. And then on the south, and it's Gibeah. And that's, the south side is towards back towards Jerusalem, back to where the Israeli camp was. The north is where the Philistines were. They were to the north of the Israelites. And this is where it gets really cool. At least I think it's cool. Maybe I'm just a little nerdy uh, with all the names and what they mean. So he finds himself with these two cliffs. And then on the one side, the name's uh, Boses. The name of Boses means surpassing white glistening. Surpassing white glistening. Now when you hear that, what do you think of? Where else in the Bible is there something that's surpassing white glistening? This is your chance to be on a podcast. You can yell it out. Just yell it out. Heaven? Jesus in heaven? All right. You guys are, you're all right. Jesus in heaven. Uh, you think about Matthew 17 too. His clothes became white as light. Matthew 28 too. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And then you have the beautiful picture of him in Revelation chapter one. Um, one or two. I was, um, don't stone me. I forgot that one. Uh, so you have this picture of him. And then what's even cooler is that Micmash uh, is it's hidden. There's like a mystery. So you have this picture of this one side of him to choose from that's white, surpassing, glistening. And there's hidden. There's this kind of mystery involved. And we know for, uh, in Colossians 2, 1 through 3, he talks about hidden all the treasures of wisdom are in Christ. And so we're seeing the picture of this one side of the cliff, this one side of this precipice that he could climb, that is this like symbolic, symbolic in this type of Christ. On the other side is Sena, and that means thorny. Now here's your second chance to be on the podcast. What do we associate with thorns? In the, sorry, say again. Crowns. Crowns, okay, that's good. I wasn't even thinking about that one, but that's really good. What else in the Bible is thorns associated with? Thistles. We know in Genesis 3.18, it is talked about as a curse, both thorn and thistles it shall bring forth. 
Right? I think of Matthew 13.7 and 13.22 where he's talking about the seeds. He says, The cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and you can become unfruitful. So there's the idea of a curse. There's the idea of it choking away from what God has intended to do. The deceitfulness of riches make you unfruitful. Now, what's funny is that the south side, again, that was towards Israel. That's where Saul's army was. That's where the garrison was of 600 men. He was under a, palm, a pomegranate tree or a cave if you're the ESV for some reason. That was the thorny side. You would think that would be the fruitful side. But that was the side of the cliff with the thorns. What was on the side of the white glistening, the type of Christ? What was on that side? Third chance to be on the podcast. The Philistines, a fight, a battle. That was the side that Jonathan climbed up and had to face overwhelming odds, 10 to 1. Something that pragmatically we would never do. But that was the side that this imagery is portraying as the right thing for Jonathan to do. And we do see, we read, that the Lord was with him. It was to go fight the battle. It was not to go sit under the pomegranate tree and be surrounded by 600 soldiers like the king of Israel. The king should have been the one going over and fighting the Philistines, but he didn't. He chose the curse. He chose the comfort. He was sitting under the pomegranate tree. But Jonathan decided to see what the Lord would do. He decided to see what the Lord would do, and he fought the Philistines. Let's go to verse 6. I'm already running out of time, aren't I? Jonathan said to the young man who carried the armor, Come, let us go over to the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be that the Lord will work for us, for nothing can hinder the Lord from saving by many or by few. And his armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart, do as you wish. Behold, I am with you, heart and soul. And then Jonathan said, Behold, we will cross over to the, to the men, and we will show ourselves to them. And if they say to us, Wait until we come to you, then we will stand still in your place, and we will not go up to them. But if they say, Come up to us, then we will go up, for the Lord has given them into our hand, and this shall be the sign to us. So both of them showed themselves to the garrison of the Philistines, and the Philistines said, Look, Hebrews are coming out of the holes where they have hidden themselves. And the men in the garrison hailed Jonathan and his armor bearer and said, Come up to us and we will show you a thing or uh, we'll teach you something. And Jonathan said to his armor bearer, Come up after me. And the Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Then Jonathan climbed up on his hands and feet and his armor bearer after him. And they fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer killed them after, after him. And my question to you tonight, is what does this look like for you? What does it look like in your life to kill 20 Philistines? What has God put in front of you to trust him to accomplish? That if you were just thinking from a fleshly perspective, a worldly perspective, a pragmatic perspective, it's too crazy, it would never work. What is he calling you to do? Because remember, we are here for a reason. Every single one of us, 
until God takes our last breath. We are here to go out and make disciples of all nations. We're supposed to teach them all of these things. So he has these opportunities for you to trust him in. And what does that look like for you? God is not done with any of you. And in every area of your life, he has created these opportunities for you to choose the white glistening or the thorns. You could be comfortable or you can step out of that comfort, step out of that security and experience being used by God. There are going to be times in our lives, in our communities, in our businesses, for us to make these decisions. I think back in my life as I was preparing for this, thinking about what to say, of how many times that I have found myself between the two cliffs. And a lot of times, honestly, I've chosen the comfort. I think that's a lot of our story as Americans, as people that have lived in relative comfort for our lives. Even the poorest among us in America compared to the rest of the world have lived in relative comfort. And that's one of the reasons I have been excited about the times that we live in. The times in 2020 where there has been more defiance to the one and true living God. There has been more confrontations. There has been more hostility because it's forcing us to wake up. We're seeing the contrast. We're seeing the opportunities. And we have the opportunity to do what Jonathan did. Now, as you think back of your life, how many of these uncircumcised Philistines have you slayed? I look back in my life and think not enough. And maybe the reason why you have not experienced victories like we've seen with Jonathan, maybe the reason why you haven't seen the Lord work in your life like Jonathan has here is because you've been choosing comfort. And it's been choking out what God wants to do in your life. The next part in the verse that I think is fitting for today is that the Philistines say, come up to us and we will show you a thing or we will teach you. We have been taught. The enemy is constantly wanting to disciple us away from Christ. Constantly wanting us to see things in the pragmatic. Pro- um, I'm losing the word. I've just said it like a thousand times. Uh, the pr- pragmatic? Pragmatic. Thank you very much. Constantly wanting us to see things from a pragmatic way. And we have been conditioned to do that. Where we think we are fruitful, sitting under a, prom- a pomegranate, pro- pomegranate tree. I'm getting too excited and I can't even talk now. We've been deceived, thinking we're fruitful sitting under the pomegranate trees, but we've never killed Philistines. For those listening online, I'm figuratively, not literally. I don't want to get banned from any social media networks. We have allowed them to disciple us. And this is another point that I want you guys to take from this, is there's nothing that's neutral. Public schools aren't neutral. 
Our workplaces aren't neutral. Our friends aren't neutral. Everyone wants to show us a thing. Everyone wants to teach us a thing. And it's either going to be teaching us to see things as the enemy wants us to see them, where we are going to be cursed with thorns, or we are going to be discipled and trained by the Holy Spirit, by the church, by our pastors, to take on challenges that God can use us in and where we can see victory. And like I said, we are in a time where this is being painted clearly. There is a vivid contrast. There's going to be no neutral ground. You, get to, you have to pick which side you want to climb up on. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that God is making that clear for us. Because then we get to be used by God. We get to experience him how he intended us to live life. To fulfill the great commission, the vision that God has given us to do. And not just sit and waste our lives under a tree. But to achieve, to conquer for God's glory. I don't want us to continue believing the enemy's lives, lies and continue to live defeated. And I've seen so many Christians living that way. Defeated. That we're going to lose. Now, I don't know what your, pron your pronouns are, your Christian pronouns. I'm a pre-mill uh, guy. I, I say I'm functionally post-mill, so I try to you know, ride both waves. But something that I've noticed in my camp of being pre-mill, I'm glad the pastor at least laughed at that. Greg. Uh, one of the things I've noticed is there's this attitude that we've been taught our whole lives that if the pre-mill eschatology is right, that God's just going to destroy the earth, what is the point? And this goes back to what I said earlier, that we are not responsible for the results. We're not responsible for how God is going to deal with a nation, either individually or globally, but we are called to obey. And we're called to trust him and to be teaching and doing what he's asked. He said, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to us. Go and make disciples of all nations. And so many of us have given up. What's the point? No one's going to listen. You know, there's just more people are going to hate us. What's the point? That pessimism, that outlook has no place in a Christian's life. There is not one place in the Bible that gives us permission for that. And we've thought that, we've been conditioned to think that, and so we thought we might as well make ourselves comfortable on the sinking ship. But that's not what God has for us. That's not where we're going to feel fulfilled. That's not where we are going to see God work in our lives. It is not under the pomegranate tree, but it is slaying giants. That's where we experience Christ. That's where we get to be down on our hands and knees like Jonathan needed to be to climb that cliff. That's where we get closest to that white glistening, that surpassing. That's where Jesus is. That's where he wants us to be with him. That's where we discover the mysteries of Christ is fighting those battles not living in comfort under the tree. 
So what can we do? Something that we should all be very comfortable with as Christians is pray for repentance for ourselves. Too many Christians get offended when you say you need to repent. When reality, that's the most beautiful thing a Christian can do because that means we're leaving the old life and getting closer to Christ. And we should be comfortable, we should be encouraged, not only when the Spirit convicts us of it, but when our brothers come to us and say that, because that means we have an opportunity to get closer to Christ. We need to repent. I love breaking things down into the three spheres that God gives us, the family, the church, and the government. One of the things that we can do is start discipling our kids and our families. Start praying with them every day. Start catechizing them. Start telling them what truth is. God made the world. Why did he make the world? For his glory. What else did he make? He made all things. My two-year-old knows all that now. Because it's a constant daily battle. That is the biggest battle as men we will fight, is with our families, for them. Because the enemy is coming to steal, kill, and destroy them. So disciple your kids, disciple your wife. Be in the word, washing her, cleansing her. That needs to be a daily battle we fight and not just get comfortable. Oh, it was a hard day. I don't, I don't have the energy to uh, you know, do what God told me to do. <laughs> we can't be like that anymore. Not in the times that we live. In your church, the older men are supposed to disciple the younger men. I grew up in church my whole life. I became a Christian later in life, but I grew up in church my whole life. I've never once seen, or I never saw growing up, I should say, I've seen it now, older men discipling younger men in the church. Have you? I honestly haven't. I, like, I would think about how do you start that in a church, and I struggle because I have not seen that culture in our church where older men are discipling younger men on how to act and how to live the Christian life successfully doesn't exist. We need to start doing that. I hear that there's several churches here. It's not just one church. This is something that you should be engaging with your pastors and elders about. How do we disciple the younger men? No wonder most of our churches have the youngsters. They go to college and they leave. They weren't discipled. There was no deep roots. The public square. And I'll leave you with this because this is always the most contentious one. And I love being contentious. For so long, we bought the lie that you shouldn't talk about politics and you shouldn't talk about religion. In reality, Jesus is king is the most political statement we will ever hear in our lives. And that he has not only expectations for us individually, he has expectations for us in the corporately in the church, but he also has expectations in the government, in the public sphere, in our, in our public lives, in the town square, on Facebook, everywhere. We need Christians to step up and proclaim the gospel and discipling not just the church, but the world and how God has called them to act. We need that in the public square as well. So if you're looking for ways to fight giants, way, ways to fight Philistines, those are some practical things that you can start tonight. There's a need for all of those. There's always room for us to grow. And I hope that you will think about how you can fight those Philistines in all those different areas. Let's pray. God, I thank you.
first of all, that you've saved us. Lord, that it was all your work. That there is nothing that we could have done to earn your salvation. And I, Lord, pray that since you loved us, that we would love you the way that you have called us to love you. I pray that you would open our eyes to the things that we need to repent of. Open our eyes to the times that we've chosen comfort over doing what you've called us to do. I pray that you would crucify the coward in all of us. I pray that you would um, release our grip of this world and whatever that looks like so that we can have open hands that cling to you. Forgive us of our sins, fill us with your spirit, and use us. In Jesus' name, amen.